definitely human. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It is 1929, and at the furthest reaches of the world, five intrepid travellers have vowed to stop an unfathomable horror that threatens to engulf all of humanity. For the past decade, these unfortunate souls have been plagued by a powerful, far-reaching cult, a cult devoted to the ritualistic awakening of some ancient and terrible evil. Now, Dorothy Taylor, Cornelia Cavendish, Sebastian St. Battenberg, Joy Dutton Cavendish, and Jean-Selim Abdelaziz have embarked on an expedition to Antarctica, chasing the remaining threads of their investigation to a meteorological station located somewhere in the frozen Ross Sea. After ten years of adversity and dread, our heroes are confident that this will be their last adventure, and that here, in the hostile expanse of the Antarctic desert, they will finally put an end to... The Infinite Bad! The Doom of Antarctica, Part 1 It is the spring of 1929, and the world teeters on the brink of an unfathomable chasm. Although the heroic age of exploration is winding to a close, the world remains a chaotic place, whose margins do not admit the curious without extracting a price. While the first transoceanic flights begin crisscrossing the vast and vacant spaces of the world, polar winds send Italian explorer Umberto Nobile's airship careening to the ice. And as mankind continues to strive to bring order to the world, tragedy continues to spill out from failed experiments like sand from a closing fist. 
Stalin implements his first five-year plan in his vast empire and almost immediately explodes the Soviet economy. In the West, frenzied stockbrokers on trading floors fix their gaze ever upwards, straining for the tops of new skyscrapers, deaf to the sound of their shoes slipping off the windowsills, blind to the 50-story drop that awaits them in less than a year's time. Dorothy Taylor, Cornelia Cavendish, Sebastian St. Battenberg, and Joy Dutton Cavendish once more find themselves on a ship, this time heaving through the cold, choppy waters of the Antarctic Circle. The events of the past ten years play heavily on their minds. They have witnessed unimaginable horrors and suffered untold trauma, and now the end spans out before them, dauntingly remote yet frighteningly close. It has been over a year since our heroes travelled to India to find a cure for Joy's affliction, and since they re-encountered the vile Lord Talbot, eager to tell them of his cult's diabolical plot to bring forth into the world something terrible beyond reckoning. United by a sense of urgent purpose, these loyal companions have spent the last year using every resource at their disposal to find a way to stop this shadowy cabal from achieving their ambitions. From the various personal effects they found on the discarded clothes in Karajah, Joy has been able to piece together a common thread. Many of the victims were associated with Antarctic or polar expeditions in some way. Following the trail of passport stamps and visa requests, she surmised that they must have been trying to enter the frozen continent through the Ross Sea approach. Dorothy's network of American contacts in the medical industry led her to interview Edward Dillon, a patient at a Toronto insane asylum who was admitted after abandoning his post at a meteorological station at the rim of Antarctica. He raved about strange lights from the South Pole and pale figures at his window. The nurses complained that they had to make him wear pillows over his hands, else he would compulsively attempt to pry his own teeth out at night. Dorothy tracked down the meteorological station's coordinates and a matched Joy's trail, a small outpost near the edge of the Ross Ice Shelf named Little Hallkirk. Our hero's ship is an old, rickety vessel that creaks and complains with each swell it crests. It is an old sealing ship called The Quest, procured by two of Sebastian's old army comrades, William Henshaw and Ralph Cleaner. Together with a skeleton crew of cheap sailors, William and Ralph hope to undertake a lucrative seal hunting expedition in these waters, and Sebastian has convinced them to escort them to the Ross Ice Shelf, where they can begin their journey to rendezvous with the meteorologists at Little Hallkirk. Cornelia's considerable fortune has dwindled under the force of her companion's exertions, but she has seen to it that they have come equipped for a difficult expedition. The quest is stuffed with provisions, cold weather gear, and tools. She has also reached out through her considerable network of socialite contacts across the territories of the British Empire to locate an old friend, Jean Salim, the Egyptian ship's captain who escorted our heroes down the Nile years ago, and to 
who rescued them from the ruins of the tomb of Arendt's Nufis. Left idle by the disappearance of his erstwhile employer, Lord Talbot, and struggling to cope with the memories of what he himself saw and heard on that journey, Jean Selim reluctantly agreed to accompany them on this endeavour, his presence facilitated by an ample monetary recompense. These five unlikely heroes now stand on the bow deck of the ship, hermits within their cold weather swaddling, staring at the glossy black water and the chunks of ice as they consider what lies ahead. Well, here we are, the Antarctic, the end of the world. How appropriate that we should end up here. (laughs) It's been ten years to bring us here. Uh, yes. Uh, And, um... I th- I'd also like to add something. Uh, so, <laughs> they take out a small piece of paper. So, during the war, I wrote poetry. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it might be appropriate if I um, <clears throat> read a poem for you now. <laughs> so... <clears throat> John Selene looks very confused, (laughs) (laughs) looking askance at you, Cornelia. Is is this normal? (laughs) This is titled War (laughs) by Sebastian St. Battenberg. War is bad. It makes me sad. Not glad. Sad. My friend is dead. He was shot in the head. Sometimes I think about the good times we had, but now he's dead, and that is bad. <clears throat> so, there it is. Anyway, something to think about. Is that another one of your poems, Sebastian? William steps now onto the deck. Yeah! It's been ten years since I heard one of those. Yes, it really, uh, really brings back old times, doesn't it, Oates? <laughs> <laughs> Um, William and Ralph are laughing hysterically <laughs> to each other. Good um, chaps, yes. They've always been very supportive of my poetry. Patrons we are, yes, yes. Patrons of the arts. Indeed. And they start busying themselves and they say, well, well, within the Antarctic Circle, we're nearing the Ross Ice Shelf. Uh, are you quite sure about your expedition? Who, who's, who is it that's meeting you again? Well, naturally, we, we, we've written letters to the meteorological station. They Uh, they are expecting you, though. Yes. I would say that they should be expecting us. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Are are you all meteorologists? Well, that's Sebastian's. (laughs) 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 All right. Good stuff. Punch him on the shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) But the rest of you are all all educated women. Yes. 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 Meteorologists all? Women of science, I would say. Indeed. As would I. (laughs) Uh, Modern times, eh? Three women of science Mm. heading into the depths of the Antarctic to do some some science. How excellent. They start uh, busying themselves with the rigging and the various paraphernalia on the ship. Jean-Celine steps forward and uh, trying to stay out of earshot of of William and and Ralph says, "Uh, so what is the plan? Well, I'm not sure that anyone is expecting us per se, but I did write letters. I just didn't, I just didn't get any replies, but they might still be expecting us, I suppose. 
I mean, whether they are or they aren't doesn't really matter so much, Jean Salim. The important thing is we're all here and we're very determined. He nods emphatically and says, ah, so, so we're attempting the ambush? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 certainly not. Certainly not. No ambush of the meteorological <laughs> uh, station. Yeah. That is not the plan. We're simply going to Little Hawkeye. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that any... See what happens. Well... I would say for, that right now we're assuming that the meteorological station is full of meteorologists, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we're simply going to Little Halkirk to try to discuss with them. But that could change. Absolutely. We're in full agreement, Dorothy. If things get nasty, so be it. Mm. I'll be right behind you. Well, we should be prepared for anything. I thought it was an ambush. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jean-Celine blanches a little bit and he looks towards you, Cornelia, and he says, you reassured me we would be perfectly safe and these were scientists. No, Jean-Celine, we are perfectly safe. Of course we are. I, I do not want a repeat of the horrors. No, no, no repeat of Egypt. Uh, Mrs. Cavendish, this isn't going to be safe at all. <laughs> this is going to be extremely dangerous. But you will keep us safe, won't you, Me? Sebastian? Yes. Me? Uh, yes. You always have. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've always been able to hold our own. Mm. He is a famous soldier, is he not? Uh, f- famous. <laughs> I am a soldier, yeah. or I was a soldier, yes. Can't you convince your soldier friends to come with us? I suppose I could. Yes, why not? Oats and Badger along for the ride? I approach Oats and Badger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so well, what do you say to, to William and Ross? Friends! So you're uh, doing a bit of seal hunting, I gather. Yes, that's right. Boring! We're after something much more interesting. Adventure! <laughs> Adventure. Didn't you get your fill during the war? Nothing boring about money. Ha <laughs> ha! William slaps Ralph on the on the shoulder. They they love this joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's a funny joke. I agree. Uh, well, we actually have an ulterior motive for coming here, um, other than science. Listen, Sebastian, how much are you getting paid to accompany these spinsters? Spinsters? Oh, come on, else you're I, better than that. I saw no rings or well. I mean, the old lady. I'm assuming her. Uh, no, she is a spinster, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're actually on a sort of a, a mission. Um, a very important... It's not a, it's not a kind of for monetary gain. It's more of a sort of moral gain. Oh, A moral imperative. God, Bastion, what have you let yourself get talked into? I, I, I wasn't talked into it. I wanted to do this. We're defeating evil. There, I said it. We're on a quest to defeat evil. Are you with me, boys? They look at each other and they say, well, we had our fill of defeating evil in the war, as I was saying. Yes, Listen, if you want us to cut you in on our sealing expedition, I'm afraid there's no room. I don't want to go killing seals. It doesn't do anything for me. I want to kill Angela Greswick. <laughs> uh, she's evil. Like, it's a long story. <laughs> Listen, I could really use your help on this one, chaps. Make a persuasion check at disadvantage. Both 12. They look at each other and they look at you and they heave a a sympathetic sigh. And they say, listen, Sebastian, we have families at home. I'm sure you have a family that loves and cares for you and that you're anxious to get back to. You'd think so. (laughs) We're just out here trying to kill some seals and and make some money for our families. We thought the war was over, but the war was bigger than we ever realised. And the war is against the devil. 
Satan himself, I'm convinced of it. They look at each other and a kind of look of recognition and uh, realization crosses Have I ever steered you wrong in the past? (laughs) Ralph wrinkles his forehead in, in really clear sympathy and puts a gentle hand on your shoulder and he says, You've been through a lot, Bastion. I think you should go home after this. And they, they turn away and start walking back towards the centre of the ship. I don't return to the group. I light my pipe and look off to the horizon. <laughs> after a few moments, Jean Salim approaches you and he says, So they're, they're coming with us, yes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jean Salim. No, the world's more complicated than I thought it was. They think that the war against evil is over. I'm afraid we can't rely on Oats and Badger. (laughs) (laughs) And we've got each other. Right, old friend. Jean Salim starts muttering under his breath in Arabic um, and he doesn't respond to you and he he goes towards the back of the ship uh, and he's now rolling a cigarette and staring off into space wondering what he's gotten himself into. (laughs) Good man. Behind us all the way. (laughs) Dorothy, Cornelia, and Joy, you're still at the bow of the ship, right? Okay. So uh, as the ship moves on and continues to glide through the cold Antarctic sea, you're enveloped by the stillness of the air as the ship begins to crack through the ice of the Ross Sea. And now you begin to notice a few flakes, insubstantial as dust, swaying towards the surface of the deck catching in the fibres of your winter hoods. One of the sailors that William and Ralph have hired says something unintelligible to his ship's mate, and Ralph then snaps his head to the left, eyes on a fixed point, and then he says, There! As good a place as any, eh, Sebastian? Your eyes follow Ralph's, (laughs) and they settle on a small rocky outcropping that juts out of the snow, bordered by a wide, flat plain of ice. It seems as if the quest might be able to stay in deep, open waters near this ice shelf, yet give you enough solid land within half a mile's walk. The ship begins sputtering and grumbling as William starts bringing your trunks out of the ship's cabin and onto the deck. You wouldn't go anywhere, would you, old friends? You'll be here, right? Well, well, we'll, we'll circle back in... Uh, how long would you say you need to, to meet these meteorologists? You'll probably overnight there. We'll get some sealing done in the meanwhile. Why don't we circle back in two or three days? You can, you can get the lay of the land. Enjoy! Yes, yes. Do, do circle back, though. I think it might be good to get more precise time than two or three days. Is it two days or is it three days? Well, you know, the vagaries of the ocean and uh, come back here after two days. And if we're not there, then what? (laughs) Just keep coming back. Uh, (laughs) You'll you'll see our ship. You're such a worrier, Dorothy. Honestly, I'm sorry sorry about her. Bit of a nervous says, I, I agree with Dorothy, we should know exactly how we're making our return. Let's say three days. Yes, three days sounds like the right amount of time. Can uh, we agree on that, sir? Make a persuasion check, Dorothy. Ten. Uh, William stares at you hard in the eye, and then he says, All right, three days then. Now off you go and enjoy. The ship is now about 15 feet above the level of the ice, uh, and they've started setting up some ropes that tie down towards the surface of the ice shelf, uh, and you're starting to lower your trunks. Yeah, so basically you've got plenty of, of equipment. Uh, what kinds of things would you have thought to bring, Cornelia? You've been the de facto provisioner for the expedition. Well, I've got my cane with a, a spike on the end to ah, yes. get around. Uh, but then I personally would not be carrying anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll have rope. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll have, that, we'll have that so I know. Yeah. We, we have rope. <laughs> 
Like everyone's carrying at least thirty foot of rope. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but what else chest. would we have? I mean, we yeah, would you? Have, so you're probably going to have like a, a sled that you can drag behind you. Yeah. And um, John Salim obviously will help with that, and so you, yes. you'll be able to carry a, a decent amount. Uh, I've got my service pistol. I have a rifle now. Uh, my Bible and my father's pipe. I have a pistol, a knife. I have rope. I have an ice pick, a hunting rifle, and then I have a lot of first aid provisions. Um, I have a knife, a pistol, ice picks, and a shovel, and some rope also. I also have a flask of scotch. Gonna need that. <laughs> Do you know what? I think I've got a flask of brandy. I think that's, uh... I have concerns about I that. Like, I think that's likely, but I would have at least one. Yeah. As the sailors begin lowering your gear down to the ice, uh, you're still on the deck of the ship. And Dorothy, William, who you kind of locked eyes with earlier, uh, he seems to want to take his chances with you. And he goes up to you and kind of leans rakishly against uh, one of the bulkheads on the ship. And he says, so, an American, eh? Indeed, sir. How, uh, how is America? And he grins at you. It's good, sir. You know, I heard there was another American making their way down uh, to the Antarctic at this very moment. A, a naval officer, uh, Richard Byrd, Richard Evelyn Byrd. Do you know him? Have you heard of him? I confess I have not, sir. Sorry, that name again is Richard Evelyn Byrd? Yes, yes, a naval officer. We, we, he's mounting some sort of military Antarctic expedition we thought might be able to piggyback on his, uh, on his expedition, but he politely rebuffed our request as um, matters of national security. Matters of national But we're good friends, Richard and I, you know? Oh, it sounds it, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> national security interests in the Antarctic. Yes, yes. Uh, he he wouldn't say... I mean, he told me all about it, of course, but <laughs> of I, course. Can't, uh, I can't divulge the details. Of course, sir. Yes, yes. So, uh, are you... Uh, at this point, his nerve fails him, and Ralph comes in and, and asks him something, well, almost conspiratorially, in a whisper. Uh, William hisses something back and then turns back to you and says, Well, uh, we'll talk more when, when we swing back around, uh, Miss, uh, Miss Taylor. Dr. Taylor, sir. He puts his hand out to receive yours so that he can kiss it. I shake his hand. Yes, well, mm, good, good. Uh, and they start going back towards the, the middle of the cabin. As they do so, you can hear Ralph is, is laughing into into his sleeve. Well, they're quite unpleasant, aren't they? <laughs> I'm going to go, I guess, is everybody disembarking? Yes, so your yeah. trunks are now on the ice, and you can start making your way down towards the ice. So it's relatively, relatively simple, but Cornelia, I'm going to have to ask you to make an athletics check at advantage. It's relatively straightforward for everyone else. But... Sorry, what am I doing? Going down a ramp? Yeah, you're going, well, you're going down mm. a rope. A rope? Okay. Yeah, because the, the deck of the ship is about 15 feet above the ice. I'm stood at the bottom of the rope, making sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. 14. Oh, great, yeah. A very able and proficient, okay. just sliding down the rope, and now you're all on the ice. Ooh. So... We made it. <laughs> this is a bit odd, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, immediately you can tell that it's much colder just being in such close proximity of the ice than it was on the deck of the ship. Um, John Salim is wide-eyed at how cold it is. Uh, he doesn't seem used to this at all. And he says, is, is, is everyone not feeling incredibly cold? <laughs> yes, it's a bit nippy. 
I thought America was bad. It was bad. This is worse. <laughs> What's John Saleem wearing? Uh, he's wearing the same thing as the rest oh, of you, okay, okay. but he's just very unused to it, having mm. been brought up in Egypt. What do we have on our feet? Or do we have like snowshoes on? Or uh, You have big, wide boots, okay. basically. With spikes mm. on the bottom? Like sure. Glacier, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess yeah. Cornelia would have. Glacier shoes. Yes, yeah. I'd have insisted on spikes. Yeah, spikes <laughs> everywhere. Just yeah. covered in spikes. And you just roll on to your, to your destination. Very important that everybody keep a very cautious eye on their own health mm-hmm. in these sorts of conditions and please nope, let me that's know. your job Dorothy <laughs> absolutely you keep a cautious eye on our health right and I will do my best however it would be very prudent of everyone to just keep track of their own state their own homeostasis as it were just make sure if you're starting to feel odd if you're starting to feel sluggish or tired at all that you let me know immediately because that is an early warning sign of hypothermia so we don't want anybody to freeze to death down here, right, guys? Understood. Thank you, Joy. I'm feeling a little sluggish now. <laughs> but more sluggish than usual? Ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> so there's one last trunk of things that's being lowered down by one of the sailors now. So jean Celine is, is at the bottom of the rope. The sailor is at the top of the rope. Uh, make perception checks, everyone. Eleven. Three, sixteen, one. Joy, you look up and you can see that this sailor, he seems to be looking at all of you more than he's paying attention to the trunk that he's supposed to be lowering down the rope towards Jean Celine. Uh, and his eyes fix on you, Joy, in fact, and you lock eyes for a second. And then he kind of stumbles forward a little bit. You get the sense that it wasn't an accident. And the trunk goes flying off the rope lands in the water, cracks some of the ice as it falls through, and then just starts sinking immediately, creating this bubbling <gasps> in the water as, as the air starts escaping from the trunk, but it's sinking very, very fast indeed. Imbecile! Just what are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> You're paying for that! <laughs> uh, William goes over to, to the sailor and cuffs him on the face, um, but the sailor seems to shrug and he... Cuff him again! <laughs> <laughs> he looks mutinously down at the four of you and then he retreats to the interior of the ship. William looks down and says, I'm terribly sorry, what what was in that trunk? What was in that trunk? Uh, so that was half of your food. Oh. <sighs> Unbelievable. Where, what happened to the rope? We couldn't like catch the rope and well, then pull it back up? That's what you feel that he detached the hook that would have attached it to the rope. He kind of let it slip off that hook. And so the whole thing just fell straight down instead of running down along the rope towards the ice. Never mind, accidents happen. Yes. William and uh, Ralph look down at you and they, they seem genuinely embarrassed that this has happened. And they say, well, we haven't brought enough food to share much, but... Uh, you can buy me a drink when we return to England. Yes, yes. Or several, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Oh. They're the best. <laughs> Uh, the ship begins pulling away now. Uh, you need to start making your way towards this rocky outcropping. It's essentially it should be less than a day, less than half a day's journey to get to Little Hawkirk. It'll be an unpleasant trek, but the weather looks fairly clear at the moment. Although there's a little bit of snow starting to develop, we should set off while it looks yeah, clear. Absolutely. Yeah, let's get going. I also, if it starts to snow, I think that we should do something to make sure that we're all like maybe tie a rope around our. Mm. like selves to make sure that none of us yeah, get lost absolutely. in a blizzard or yes. anything like that yeah, so as soon as it starts to snow more heavily I think yeah. we should do that and what time is it right now? around 4 in the afternoon so it's already quite dark it's spring in the world but because you're in the South Pole it's actually autumn so it gets dark very early Okay. So you should be getting there like late evening. Seems like a bit of an oversight for us to arrive so late. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not ideal. I guess I can't control when they find a good place to pull up. Mm, that's generous. 
<laughs> yes, Oats and Badger are very generous, I agree. <laughs> generous man. You start making your way across the ice towards the rocky outcropping now. Um, make perception checks as you do so. Four. Six. Seven. Nineteen. So, Dorothy, um, you're kind of disappointment with how poorly planned this landing has been uh, in terms of organization causes you to look back towards the ship as the rest of the party is kind of making their way towards the rocky outcropping with a singular focus. Uh, You look back and as you look back, you can see that at the very point where you were dropped off, you see what looks like a human figure as if someone else disembarked also. But as soon as you look back and you can't really see them because it's quite dark and dim already, it looks like they just kind of plop into the water. It looks almost as if they were sitting at, on the ice at the edge of the water as a bather would sit at a swimming pool. And then as soon as you look back, they just slip into the water. You wonder whether you're imagining it or whether it's kind of a, a visual echo of seeing the trunk slip and fall into the water. But you're quite sure that you saw someone there. Well, that's bizarre. I don't think I'm going to mention that, though. Make a, make a wisdom check. 17. 17, yeah, you don't you don't gain any dread for that. It's just, it's an odd thing, and you wonder whether you imagined it. Remember that thing that you said earlier about how we should all alert you if we were feeling a bit odd? Yes. You're looking a bit odd. You should alert yourself <laughs> and do something about it. Thank you so much, Sebastian. I think I'm just feeling unsettled about losing half of our rations, but, but I'm warm and I'm clear-headed. Excellent. Thank you. So you start making way towards the rocky outcropping. It's it's pretty easy going over the ice for now. It's very, very flat. You can tell that the journey is going to get a little bit more difficult once you reach the actual land and the terrain becomes more irregular. But your spiked boots are serving you well at the moment. As you approach the actual bit of land, you notice, aside from the darkness of the rock that juts out of the ice, that there's something else, another dark spot on the land and it's taken you maybe 20 minutes to half an hour to make your way across the ice. You're now starting to pant a little bit from the exertion of of the walk, carrying this sled of gear behind you. But you can see quite clearly that there's a large, dark spot in the snow. I'll go and poke it with my cane. Okay. How large is it? From a distance, you're about 100 feet away from it at the moment. It looks like maybe a five foot wide patch of something dark yeah you approach it despite the freezing cold that swirls around you the snow is warm and melting as you approach it and see that it is a massive pool of blood Hmm. is it just a pool it's not like coming from anywhere you can see that it doesn't look like it's flowed from anywhere it looks like whatever has caused this pool of blood to develop has happened right here the snow is warm and melting under the visceral heat of this blood and you're taken aback that the snow seems to be visibly melting even as you approach. It seems like the blood is still actively warm, which is quite shocking to you, given the fact that it's incredibly cold right now. Mm. Unless whatever caused this injury and this blood to be spilled was literally moments away from you. You steal yourselves as you look at it more closely, expecting to find a corpse. But as you near the scene, you only see one scrap of flesh right in the centre of the divot in the snow created by the blood almost totemic in its placement and isolation. It is a human tongue. It's been ripped out deep in the throat so that it looks large to an almost vulgar extent, its sad pinkness already whiting with frost at the edges. I don't poke it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a tongue. Looks human. I expected that we would run into strange and horrible things, 
but not this soon. Uh, I'm going to pick up the tongue. <laughs> oh, Sebastian. Wow. All right. Just to see if there's anything we can find out about it by looking at it in closer detail. Oh, grow up. Just be cautious. <laughs> All right. Um, make a perception check as you pick up the tongue. And do the rest of you want to investigate the, the area more closely? Uh, absolutely, or? I do, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So the rest of you make investigation checks. Seven. Seven. Okay. Fifteen. Eleven. One. Uh, Sebastian, you pick up the tongue. It kind of flops around very sadly in your hand. Mm-hmm. It looks like a human tongue. That's pretty much all you can surmise from it. Cornelia, you start scrabbling around in this in this mm. blood. You can see that it's actively... Yeah. yeah, the snow is continuing to actively melt, uh, and it's almost reached the rock and land and soil underlying the snow. But besides this slurry of blood and water and snow, you start to detect small white things that you initially thought were large crystals of ice. But then more quickly than than it would have 10 years ago, the realization dawns on you that these are teeth. Human teeth. Human teeth. Mm. To go with the tongue. (laughs) I flap the tongue. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Make a wisdom check. One. Yeah, although you were expecting something along these lines, you didn't think you'd go through this whole expedition without seeing any teeth, Cornelia. The sight of it still uh, still sends chills down your spine and you gain 10 dread. Okay. Um, how many teeth? More than would be from one person? So you can start to be thorough in your search and you gather about a dozen teeth. So it might all have been from one person. Give me the teeth. I hold out my hand. I, oh, sure. I'll, yeah. <laughs> Here you go. Thanks. All yours. Thank you. <laughs> I take the teeth and the tongue and pocket them. Yeah. <laughs> Never know. Might come in useful. Cornelia, you also see that there are some tracks leading away from the pool of blood, and they're going in the exact same direction that you were going to go towards Little Holkirk, the meteorological station. Dorothy and Joy make perception checks. Nine. Ten. Dorothy, you notice, just as Sebastian is stuffing the tongue into his pocket, that it looks like the tongue flicks a little bit, (sighs) almost as if it moved very slightly. It might have been just a spasm, but your, me- your knowledge of medicine would lead you to believe that a, a severed tongue doesn't spasm no. minutes after being removed. Again, you wonder whether you imagined it. Joy, you don't notice anything about the tongue, but you do notice that Jean Slim is visibly panicked now. And he looks down at the pool and he says, no, 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 no. We must return. Uh, get, get your friends to, to come back. Uh, there's clearly been a murder. We, we need the police. I don't know. Johnson Lee, you've seen worse than this. Remember Salah when he slithered off the boat? You remember the lions? God, my God, no, no, I did not sign up for this. You remember all those things, Johnson? Just really picture all of those things in your memory. (laughs) Really go back to that place. Sebastian, you feel like you might need to slap John Saleem to get him to come back to his senses. Very well. Do I need to make a strength check? Yeah, yeah, you should make a strength check. Yeah. (laughs) I sigh when my words fail. Six. I gently slap him in the face. <laughs> well, Six, you had been trying to gently slap him <laughs> in the face. <laughs> but um, you, you forget to, like, let go of the tongue that was in your pocket. So you take it back out and you slap him with the tongue <laughs> still in your hands. Sebastian! He screams. Let me make a Sebastian, that was inappropriate! That was disgusting. 
Uh, he starts gagging and choking and he falls to his knees and he says, he looks up at you, Cornelia, and he says, he's mad. It's fine. Don't, don't worry. I, I pour some brandy in his mouth. <laughs> this will help you. I don't know that that's going to help. John Sleeve. Strength, John Sleeve, strength. He, he starts spluttering and he says, what is this? Alcohol? I cannot drink alcohol. Oh, what are oh, you doing? I'm so sorry. I'm, John Sleeve, John Sleeve. I quite forgot. <laughs> Um, I wash it out with snow. (laughs) For God's sake, Mrs. Cavendish, have some tact! Can everyone give him some space? Can everybody give him some space? John Sleem, the safest place right now is for us to get to the meteorological station. The ship isn't coming back for another three days. So let's just get to some shelter overnight, yes? Are you doing okay? Make a medicine check at advantage. 16. Uh, yeah, you, you manage to get Jean Sling some space. You start speaking to him in your best soothing bedside manner tone. Uh, and it does seem to work. His kind of big shuddering breaths start to grow smoother and, and more gentle. Uh, and he looks up at you and he says, thank you. Thank you, mademoiselle. Of course, Jean Sling. Uh, let's, uh, let's continue. He yes. gives a, a, a bit of a dirty look at both you, Sebastian, and you, Cornelia. <laughs> I think we managed it, Dorothy. Good teamwork. <laughs> Sebastian, could you secure the tongue, please? Just make sure that it's that it's away. It's it's here. I tap my my breast pocket. Don't you worry about that. It's right here. In the eerie stillness of the Antarctic, five fur-wrapped figures huddle in quiet conference as the circle of crimson snow slowly melts beneath them. The silence of this white wasteland is deafening, and for all their outward confidence, Dorothy, Cornelia, Sebastian and Joy cannot quash the feeling that they are in some kind of purgatory, between the sanctuary of home and the horrors that await them. And although they have resolved to vanquish the demonic cult of Angela Gresley, a decade of exposure to its evil influence has left them haunted and broken. And they wonder how much more of this eternal dread they can possibly endure. You've been listening to The Doom of Antarctica, written by Giorgio Mariani and produced and edited by David Knight and Tom Dalling, with music by Jonathan Day, starring Eleanor Kohler as Dorothy Taylor, Maximilian John as Cornelia Cavendish, David Knight as Sebastian St. Battenberg, and Charlie May as Joy Dutton Cavendish. I am Giorgio Mariani, Game Master. You can follow us on Twitter at The Infinite Bad and support the production of this series on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash definitely human. The Infinite Bad is a definitely human production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.